Welcome to the Open Source Way. This is SAP's podcast series in which we'll talk about the difference that open source can make. In each episode, we'll talk to a different expert and we'll talk to them about why they do it the open source way. I'm your host, Carsten Hohage, and in this episode, I will talk to Krasimir Zemerjev and Valentin Vieriu about the Kima project. We will learn what Kima is, why we run it open source, and what there is to learn from that project. Krasimir Zemerjev, or uh, rather in short, Krasi, because I'll have a hard time to call him by his full name all the time, is a true open source enthusiast, and we're really happy to have him on board. He works as a chief architect in the SAP uh, technology office, where he leads a North Star architecture work stream, thus defining the end-to-end experience for implementation partners for so-called ISVs. He has spent the last 20 years in technology development in various roles, and he is most of all a prominent evangelist for the adoption of cloud-native architecture principles, as well internally as outside of SAP. Valentin Vieriu, Valentin, works as a community manager of the Kima project. He gathered an all-round understanding of how the web works, from product management, uh, user interaction, design, front-end, all the way to back-end and DevOps. He's a passionate uh, front-end developer. And he's getting more and more excited about the possibilities that most of all uh, machine learning algorithms offer in that space. Let's maybe get to the Kima project here. Uh, Valentin, uh, what is Kima? Why is it called Kima? Maybe in the short version for a start? Yeah, sure, sure, Carsten. So, uh, well, thank you for the introduction. Uh, <laughs> um, I think that the question regarding Kima is... Uh, is sometimes it's a question that we all the time get. Um, you know, why the name? It's a similar story actually with uh, with Kubernetes, in the sense that uh, when they tried to name Kubernetes at the beginning, they they had a little bit of a difficulty. Uh, you know, what should be the naming? I think Kubernetes started from from the Borg project, which is you know not a very friendly name if you think about uh, you know the history of the Borg and uh, how much damage they did uh, in Star Trek. So. Uh, you know, they had to do something about it. So uh, they they choose, uh, they want something unique and they went to Greek words. And Kubernetes is from Greek and it's about navigation, it's a pilot, it's about the sea. And obviously, you know, containers were already there, Docker were already there. So the, the whole nautical theme started um, uh, with this naming uh, convention. So uh, basically when we, we start with Kima, we also had to choose a name and... Uh, uh, you know, nautical names are something that uh, kind of started to become trendy. And Kima means wave and also in Greek. So we are pretty much the wave, you know, that you ride your application on, <laughs> metaphorically <laughs> speaking. So that's uh, that's how it started. And it started quite uh, quite some time ago, I think. Uh, I mean, it was be- before my time. Um, Krasi actually was there at the, at the very beginning, right, Krasi? Totally. I mean, it, it was exciting times back then. Uh, and we had exactly the dilemma that, that you mentioned, um, you know, how to find a name that's in Greek, I mean, from one side, and then here's the nautical team. Uh, and then we, we had a couple of, uh, of ideas uh, back at the time, but at the end, we, we all uh, gathered around the, the Kim idea. And we like it so far, because actually when you go to Greece and then you walk around, you find at least like 10, 15 different taverns, which are called the same way. So it gives you this kind of a homey feeling when you, when you go there uh, in the Mediterranean. Taverns that are all on beaches, I assume. Of 
course. Be called Kima. Okay. Totally. So people need to have this positive association with the coding. That's a good positive association because uh, of what you said before, Valentin, I now have resistance is futile in my head all the time uh, from the Borg. Um, but uh, now, now we've got the name down. Uh, what is Kima and what did it originally set out to do? Well, Kima is, is an open source project and um, it's built on top of Kubernetes, which Kubernetes is also an open source project. And Kubernetes is, is quite, uh, let's say, a, a very low level. It just takes care of your containers, you know, scales up and down your application, makes sure it is re resilient. Uh, I don't know, maybe scales up regarding to traffic. Uh, but you need more than that for, for an application to, you know, to run, so at least for a cloud native uh, application. And uh, back in the time, we, we had our own um, uh, challenges. So the Kima project started very close to uh, the team that uh, developed uh, um, Commerce Cloud. So, um, and we were having our own challenges regarding uh, extensibility, what would be a good way to extend uh, our products and Kubernetes were showing up. So then we, we built this product in, in mind. So Kima with, with very clear intentions of, uh, you know, you, you need to run somewhere your applications at the beginning was the idea of extensions for, for our commerce. And obviously you need to have around all the tools necessary to, to deliver a cloud native um, application. So, you know, you have to all about logging, tracing, uh, you know, all the observability topic. And then obviously you need to have some sort of a service mesh. Then you need to have some sort of maybe a serverless workload. So we, we kind of identified the main topics. Let me maybe interrupt you there. Uh, if I wanted to put that short, uh, Kima is an extension platform. And it provides you with all the services you need right underneath your application or your extension to the application, right? Well, it started with an, uh, with that in mind, but it's more than that. It's more. It's also you can call it a kind of a runtime, also where you run your application, and it gives you all the things around, uh, so that application runs successfully. You measure it, and then you can uh, you know make all your decision. And actually, the the application inside should not care about the the, the infrastructure around. Uh, Kubernetes is not enough for that, and um, Actually, when we started with that, we realized that there are so many options to, to choose from. Um, I don't know if you ever heard about Cloud Native uh, Foundation. Uh, it's, a, it's a foundation that actually tried to sort these things out and make a little bit of a order in chaos. But the, at this moment, in this Cloud Foundation, uh, Cloud Native Foundation, there are around 1,500 plus projects. Uh, if you ever seen the Cloud Native landscape, it's something that, at least in, in our industry, we are aware of. Uh, it's uh, thousands of applications. So all of them solve a very particular problem. The, some of them, the, the one that I mentioned, and the, the, the initial part was, okay, which one of those, you know, which is proper, which is corporate grade, uh, which offers, you know, security mature enough. So for a developer, it's very hard to start picking up those. You have to spend a lot of time around that, but you want to build your app. So what, what we did is that we, we pull together, cherry pick, you know, what's the best in monitoring? What's the best in logging? What, you know, how does it, what's the best in, in service mesh and so on. So we cherry pick them one by one and then we created the package and that's what's inside of Kima. And also we had to run, uh, you know, write our own code to kind of make sure that all those work together. We created some abstraction layers on top of those uh, because sometimes you never know if, if a technology will succeed and then you want to have an abstraction layer to make sure that, you know, if you want to replace it somewhere in the future, you could do that. So we introduced some abstraction layers which are relevant for the application developers. 
we put all those things together in a package that works together. So Kima is, in the end, a subset of um, the things relevant for building cloud applications, cloud extensions, uh, a subset of uh, services from the Cloud Native Computing Foundation. I don't know if I should ask that. Is Kima itself part of the CNCF? Actually, we have a small spot in there. Um, if you go and you look for Kima, it's in the serverless um, section. So, um, um, you know, part of the, I think there's an entire story towards that. We wanted to be part of the Cloud Native Foundation, but we were so general and so big that we were not solving a very particular uh, niche. Uh, we are part of the, the landscape in the serverless part. Uh, so we, we are one of those 1,500. The next question I always have on the list here is really, um, why do we do it open source? I don't even know uh, if we still have to answer that. I mean, if we're reusing a ton of open source services uh, and uh, being part of it all, it's pretty obvious, right? But maybe there is some more detail to be said about that? Yeah, you nailed it, Kirsten. So... Basically, since we are all based on open source, uh, we obviously are true believers in um, in that way of doing things. So that's why Kima is not only using uh, and is based on a lot of open source projects. It's also doing open development in the classical sense of it. So all the development we do is happening in GitHub. Uh, all the issues are there, um, all the check-ins are there. So we don't have like a hidden ripple where, you know, we do stuff and then we flush it out. No, I mean, we actually work out there in the open. So that, that has been the, the defining uh, approach for the project from day one. Um, the main reason why we do it that way um, is that it's Kima is not for us. I mean, Kima is actually for all the people out there that are trying to work with our products and that are trying to customize ink and are trying to kind of tailor them and uh, help our customers differentiate and so on. So um, ideally, all those you know countless partners and, uh, and companies and developers out there, they need to have the feeling that uh, they have a handle on the stack that they put next to our products, that they can influence it, uh, that they can um, evolve it, uh, that they can put enhancements in there, uh, and that they're really in control. So um, if for whatever reason some of our functionality is not sufficient, people can take Kima, can take the source code, can change it, can add on top of it uh, and in order to meet their business goals and, uh, and timelines um, and needs. So they don't need to basically file us uh, tickets and feature requests and so on and then wait for us to solve them. You know, that's not how software is developed these days, especially that low in the technology stack. Okay, now, now I understand uh, that it is and why it is and how it makes sense that it's an open source project. Uh, how exactly is it SAP's uh, extension platform or whatever? Um, how does it tap? How does it tap into the, the the SAP world? Like, if you want to put that on a couple of explicit spots. So, Kima is an extensions extensibility platform in a in a box. So you can take it, you can put it next to anything. And you know, obviously, we developed it with the idea that you put it next to SAP. But uh, we've seen people putting it next to many other things, uh, like payment gateways, uh, like uh, robot automation uh, facilities in warehouses, um, where. Certainly, there is some SAP somewhere in the landscape, but uh, you know we are not necessarily envisioning exactly those scenarios when we develop Kima, but that doesn't stop people from doing so. Um, so the, the way how we handle that is uh, that we build connectors in, in many of the different SAP products that are connecting out to Kima, uh, registering their events, registering their API services, uh, therefore becoming part of the 
um, of, of the picture. Uh, and there in Kima, then you can write applications which are triggered by events coming from uh, one or more applications uh, and then consuming KPI services uh, residing in one or more applications. So this gives you the chance to build this um, event-driven uh, integration and then react smartly um, to different, uh, different things that happen um, in different places of your IT landscape. Okay, so Kasi, thanks. I, I, I understand it's totally not limited uh, to an SAP world and not limited to extending or registering SAP applications or services, but it's just truly an open source platform for that. So we even at, at some point of time, we even had an open SAP course uh, which showed how you can use Schema to extend uh, WordPress. Because basically, WordPress was was our um, was our kind of uh, uh, image for something that's truly open and truly widespread. Um, and we wanted, when you educate people how to use uh, Kima, we couldn't think of anything better to to extend there that is more widespread than that. So that's why we stuck basically Kima next to uh, WordPress and showed people how to uh, build image enhancements. Uh, Text, uh, text classification, um, sentiment analysis, and so on, using Kima and the events that we were able to extract out of WordPress. You can find that on open.sap.com um, as one of the courses there. Yeah, but I mean, Crassis, let's not, um, uh, you know, Kima is a product uh, targeted to enterprise. So, it, you know, yeah, sure, of course it is. Yeah. Itself uh, it's, uh, consumes a lot of resource, just, you know, all the things running around. So that, those were some of the, you know, critics that we got from time to time, but people need to understand this is not something that you just run your WordPress web- website on. So I don't, I don't run this right next to my self-hosted WordPress, right? Not that I'm self-hosting WordPress, but... but oh, you can run it on your machine, it's nothing, but just uh, consumes, uh, you know, considerably a lot of resource to, to run all those services on the side compared to your workload. So becomes valid when you start having you know more workloads that needs to scale up uh, you know corporate size kind of projects but it will run on your machine also what else apart from uh, you don't necessarily want to run this at home uh, what else did we learn from the Kima project yeah well one thing that we learned is that um, we see a lot of people picking it up and then running it on premise um, so next to next to systems that they run there, um, and we see that in two flavors. You know, from one side, people that um, do have a cloud strategy and want to make a, a jump towards cloud services, they take Kima, they run it there, and then they they use the time uh, at their own pace and their own schedule to essentially peel all the different customizations, put them into Kima, so that once they are comfortable with that, they can make the, the leap towards cloud. You know, putting all the customizations somewhere and then uh, move towards uh, a cloud service um, and stop running their on-prem systems and maintaining their on-prem data center. So that's one thing that we've seen people doing. Um, another thing that we've seen people doing is um, also running Kima in cloud environments uh, next to existing cloud services, um, which do not offer um, flexible enough customization abilities uh, and therefore opening space for Kima to surface the, the event-based integration in between. Another thing that we learned from running uh, more than 1,000 Kima clusters ourselves is that um, running something at scale is not the same as running an individual instance. So basically, to your example, running Kima on your machine, you know, that looks slightly different if you have 1,000 machines to handle in the same way. So uh, we, we learned a lot of things um, from cost and footprint perspective and that small things that, you know, seem, um, you know, negligible on your machine, actually when multiplied by thousand, actually starts to make a difference. 
uh, and then bubble up in priority when you uh, when you look into where money are going, <laughs> and you know where how our costs are growing. Uh, now maybe maybe explain that to me. Uh, Kima doesn't really it's in itself know yet what's going to be happening based on it, right? How do you, how do you scale something like that anyway? Does that happen totally dynamically, or do applications or services that build on Kima do they have to like pre-register how much resources they might need or something, or how does that work? Well, I think when when Krasi uh, said about thousands of servers, maybe we need to mention that uh, we, I mean, at SAP, we do run uh, Kima in the cloud platform uh, part, so we we have a managed uh, Kima runtime there where we uh, also. You know, we use it ourselves internally, and also we have you know free trial where people are coming from outside and you know just running it. So uh, also we have clients that run it uh, there, besides the open source. So when we uh, said about the, so it's very hard for the open source part to realize you know how many clusters are there. Actually, we, we cannot because you download the software and put it there; it can be closed. But the thousands of uh, you know the number of cluster that we monitor now is is the one in the in the SAP environment and. Uh, um, there, where we we noticed that regarding the uh, the workload and the, some of the learnings, I think it was quite interesting. Where we start running at the scale, we start seeing exactly as Krasi said uh, some of the you know advantages of having those uh, extra services around, making maybe wanted to make it leaner and and uh, and so on. So uh, you know those clusters run in, in individually, so each each account has its own Kima instance with running with uh, with with everything inside. And this, um, um, for every client, uh, it's kind of its own uh, isolated world. So when it comes to scaling up and down, depends on every uh, individual workload. So the whole mechanism is based on on, on the Kubernetes, uh, but also obviously some of the internal mechanics that you have. You know, uh, you can define how how scaling happens for your cluster depending on CPU, depending on memory, depending on workload, depending on request. So it's very, very individual. Uh, but Kima offers the possibility for you to, to tweak and, you know, uh, tap into all those mechanics, which uh, Kubernetes offers and all the other services around it to uh, allow you to, to, to have that uh, scalability. I think Krasi, maybe you can you can pick it up more because you're more on the technical part and you you are more aware of the <laughs> of the internals. Yeah, the the other the other interesting challenge is um, when you when you start managing multiple and like thousands of clusters uh, at scale, then you very quickly figure out that, that the problem that uh, that we ended we ended up uh, building Kima for to solve, you know, the custom code running in our commerce hybrid commerce techs. Uh, on-prem and in cloud and so on. So that was kind of the original problem which pushed us towards uh, releasing Kima. We fell into the exact same trap. You know, now suddenly we end up having custom code in, in large quantities uh, running in the same cluster where our stuff is running in. Um, so therefore suffering from all the same issues that we ended up solving for, for our commerce colleagues, uh, like noisy neighbors and resource starvation um, and, you know, all those kind of uh, typical challenges there. So now we actually have to pull ourselves out out of the out of the the water, um, and further segregating their custom codes, isolating it properly, um, also with dedicated resources, so making sure that uh, Kima stability itself is not impacted by uh, behaving or misbehaving, you know, custom code that gets deployed in there, uh, and resources for the substantial infrastructure services are still available uh, and can always be um, always be consumed as needed. We were just now talking about what you called, in short, keeping the core clean, right? That's correct. That's a major. That's really a major team. 
And you just said originally Kima set out for applications to be able to keep their core clean. And now you just talked about keeping the Kima core itself clean, right? Correct. So I mean, we didn't go as far as allowing anybody to stick any piece of code in between any two lines of code in Kima, uh, like like some of the enterprise software that um, that we have people out there using. So from one side, this gives you a massive amount of flexibility. So you can really do anything you want, but this is really a nightmare for upgrades, for uh, updates. Uh, people end up delaying their upgrades and updates because of the cost, the sheer cost of doing the upgrade and retesting all the scenarios that potentially could be impacted on top. So that's why we are currently exploring what are better ways um, to extend enterprise process and enterprise uh, software side by side with Kima running there based on events, based on APIs, based on replaying event logs. Um, so essentially finding other ways um, to allow the same level of flexibility while making sure that all the systems are naturally evolving and are kept secure and are kept up to date and can benefit from all the innovation uh, where all the vendors in the in the industry are actually uh, actively working on. Okay, uh, so that's that's one important uh, important aspect of, of of things to learn from the Kima project. Uh, Kima actually collected some of the 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 good fit services uh, from the uh, cloud native computing uh, services uh, portfolio um how does kima manage uh, the dependencies that are generated through that yeah well um that's a, that's a very good point and i think we we learn a lot from the you know for our experience now in production and um as we are you know very close to our main st stakeholder uh, uh Project in a sense, I mean, our main client right now, the biggest one definitely is uh, SAP when it comes to to Kima, and we some of the feature that uh, requests that are coming from that are very interesting. So uh, we are probably looking into the future of uh, you know changing and evolving. Anyway, Kubernetes is constantly evolving. You know, from one version to the other, new features are there. So uh, change is definitely a, a constant. Um, but we 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 put some gates and we are. Very proud of it. So we introduced some uh, some things which are you know called custom resources. So we have a, a little bit of a, like an API on top of Kubernetes, or at least a higher level, which allows us to you know hopefully easily to to replace and re uh, you know change some of those underlying services. So we we are watching all the time the, the market and we are seeing you know what are the trends, you know who's performing better, who is faster because. Uh, the decision that we made, you know, two years ago, they definitely are not the best one right now. So we are starting to change. But we, as we have this, uh, you know, layer on top of it, the, the people that are using Kima, they don't have to worry about that. As long as they're using our interface, uh, we 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 also offer support when it comes to upgradability. So you can upgrade from one version to the other, and for you should be, you know, decently transparent if uh, if something underneath changes. So. Um, it's hard to say right now, but definitely, um, I mean, speed and in you know, making more streamlined, uh, making allowing you your cluster to be you know more utilized by your work. Some of those are definitely uh, scenario that we have in mind, and we also have, having in mind for our own for for SAP running this in an efficient way. So, um, what I can say for sure is. Uh, the mechanics that we have in place are allowing us and we are monitoring and making sure that the, we choose the best strategy and the, the best tools uh, that are out there. 
Okay, but when you're saying you're choosing the best tools, uh, and now there is one name you mentioned in all of this, that was Kubernetes. I don't assume uh, that you tomorrow will say, oh, here's something that works better with containers. We'll just uh, exchange Kubernetes. I don't know. I mean, Grassi, we can, we, we could do that technically, right? Yeah, potentially we, we could do that, but uh, it's it's uh, a bit unlikely at the current point of time. So when when we started with Kima, you know, Kubernetes was kind of the safe bet because we needed something to to run everything in a box, and Kubernetes satisfied all those all those needs pretty nicely. Uh, we were pretty sure that we want to benefit from all the all the um, all the yeah features of a service mesh you know with uh, end to end TLS encryption with uh, different authentication plugins uh, with uh, fault injections with um, so basically all the features which back then istio was providing so istio itself is not a cncf project um, and uh, doesn't matter i mean we we still decided to um, to bet on it for the time being is it really mandatory well i mean potentially you could also run without it uh, but then you're losing all the benefits out of that. So basically, if your project is um, um, is relying on all those features and doesn't want to kind of boil the water from scratch, then using Kistio in there is a good idea. We use it uh, in, in many places there um, in, in Kima. Another thing to mention is that uh, many of the components that we bet back then on, like Envoy and so on, they only grew and only gained more traction and only gained more validation and so on. So we're really happy with the technology choices that we made two years ago so far. And uh, this all happening in an in an open source environment, uh, does that kind of mean uh, when you need something from Istio, Istio from uh, whatever, uh, do you also contribute to these projects? Uh, are you like an active exchange, basically? Oh yeah, we, we do have a, a contribution. You know, uh, more in the past. Uh, now lately, we we focus a little bit more in our in our product, uh, but we do contribute, and there are um, important contributions that we had to other projects. Um, so that continues uh, for sure. And, and just what I want to make sure, at least for the open source uh, solution, you know, uh, you once you install it on your local machine, you can put whatever you want on the side. It's still Kubernetes underneath. We we suggest you some, you know, a setup. But uh, if you would like to use uh, another technology, definitely you you could do, and it, it's decently easily, you know, replaceable. Some of them. Um, so yeah, we we contribute. We we hope we can contribute even more in the future. Uh, th that's how open source works. You maybe need a feature, you try to influence, you submit a pull request, gets accepted. Then for you, it's also good. You don't have to maintain a fork or something like that. So until now, we do have our own customizations that work with Kima, but they are in a, in a you know extensible way. So uh, we, we are trying as hard as possible to not create any type of forks or custom code on top of the existing projects. And maybe just like from that question, go into this very overarching, we're open source here, uh, topic for just a second there. Um, from your experiences, is it easier that way with the contributions both ways? Or is it easier in, an, in a hierarchically organized structure inside of a company to get what you want? <sighs> Well, I think it's it's uh, it's both. I would say um, definitely. Uh, I mean, we we do have a structure in place which allows you know a clear uh, you know decision process. You need to propose a topic, uh, so sometimes actually can take even longer than in a hierarchical. Uh, so we have the rules. Okay, you make the proposal needs to stay there for three weeks, uh, and until everybody sees you know. Now uh, in our case, uh, uh, most of the developers are 
you know, in the team. So we communicate quite directly. We have some external contribution, but we would love to be, you know, more. So I think in, in projects like Kubernetes, where it's quite bigger, the problem becomes more obvious. So in our case, I would not say that it slows you down, but it can slow you down if you're, you know, in a very, very big uh, uh, project. Yeah, um, there is a simple saying there that uh, if you want to reach far, you run with others. If you want to run fast, you run alone. So basically, since we we are here, we are here working on that for the long run. I mean, uh, we we fully understand that we cannot do that alone, and we need to do that in the in a wider consensus because I mean as um, us well-established SAPs, uh, it still needs all the input from all the people down on the ground who are on a day-to-day basis innovating on business processes, implementing their customer scenarios, uh, you know, differentiating in industries and so on. So we need all that kind of input and um, expecting that this is going to formally come in the sense of, you know, requirement documents and so on is, uh, I mean, open source makes that so much easier. Before we totally get into the call for contributions here, uh, which we had a tendency to to, to already have here, <laughs> let's maybe turn back for just another minute. Uh, and uh, you mentioned the WordPress example, which is more like a lab example that you did. Uh, what kind of uh, real life uses uh, do you, as I said, before we get back to contributions, what kind of uses of Kima do you see so far? So, starting with SAP itself, I mean, we do have our own app center, so sapappcenter.com. So, it's based on our commerce cloud product, naturally. Um, and then it has schema rank on the side, so where a number of integration flows are implemented there as, as extensions, uh, event-based, uh, and, and then following the paradigm that we defined in Kima. Uh, we do see a number of other scenarios um, in the commerce space around like marketing, uh, newsletters, generation there for users, personalized experience, uh, product recommendations there for particular users tailored based on their um, history in the uh, in the store, doing fraud detection there, analyzing activities there of a certain user in the store. I mean, all of those things are events that get emitted there out of our commerce tech, which we can react on, aggregate, and then compute their potential uh, potential index there for uh, for issues, which then triggers other activities, which uh, which analyzes the situation and suggests uh, remediation. We've seen people doing image optimizations, uh, minimizing them, filtering out uh, unfocused images, uh, doing stuff like automatic image sorting there and image recognition of you know what's coming in. Uh, so a lot of scenarios which, if we have to kind of sit down and implement ourselves. Um, is probably an unthinkable amount of effort there for our small team. But you know, now with the tooling that we put forward, you know, people out there can take that and go and innovate, which is what we're after. Mm-hmm. I just, I just want to. Uh, I mean, obviously, this is not a, not a, uh, uh, you know, commitment or anything. As I'm passionate about machine learning, I, I contacted some internal teams from our side, and uh, we're talking with them. Hey, would you, would you be interested in trying to run some GPU machine learning, you know, inside of Kima and try that? So that could also be something in the future where, you know, you, you could use uh, this uh, for that. So uh, those are more like, you know, labs and POC level, but uh, interesting options are out there as a, you know, using as a workload. That's how every innovation starts. I mean, you need a good idea. How can people get uh, involved in Kima? Oh, that's great because I, I would say that would be my my main, um, let's say, uh, call for action out of this. And um, what we need is uh, for a healthy project, we need um, 
a healthy number of contributors internally, but also externally. So I'm, I'm looking as a community manager, I'm lo- although but I'm looking at those numbers. So we do need um, uh, external contributors. We need fresh, fresh ideas. We need uh, people to, to propose features also to pick up and, 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 um, and solve them. So uh, the best place to start with, it is our Slack channel. It's an open source project. So, you know, su- support is not guaranteed, but our developers all are there and, you know, answering the questions and everything. Um, so it's very clearly structured per topic. So you should just, you know, you have something with serverless, you go into the serverless channel and you ask a question. Uh, when it comes to GitHub, we have a very, that will be the best way to look at for, for issues and also for feature requests. We do have an interesting structure because we were talking about, you know, structure and how we do it. We have like two organizations. We have an incubator uh, and then we have the main organization. So, you know, ideas, if you're just starting and you want to try something out, you can propose a project in incubator. You know, people get excited about it. They start contributing, gets to a mature state where it can be picked up in production and just moves into the into the main one. So the incubator is the one for the creative chaos that I just mentioned before, right? Exactly. And there you might end up, you know, with different, you know, a little bit lighter version, you know, different structure. But as you get into the main uh, repo, then, you know, CI pipelines are there, automation, everything which you have to provide. Otherwise, this doesn't scale. So GitHub definitely would be uh, the second part. Any feature there, create an issue every day, every week, actually, we have um, filtering. And we are prioritizing a lot. You know, like top priority is contribution from outside because we want to encourage this uh, as much as possible. We do have our YouTube channel where we you know post most of our, our meetups. Uh, by the way, we have a... a monthly meetup right now we tried the two weeks one but we now we switch it to a monthly one where basically we we come and present the new features uh, and we discuss maybe important topics as i said the feature requests and everything they should go first in the github enough time for people to react and you know ask questions we also bring them into the meetup uh, discuss them so all of those are open uh, forums for people to, to to feel that they can contribute they feel that the voice can be heard so um those are our, our main uh, main uh, topics. We have in the open SAP space, we have initial uh, Kima uh, course there um, that uh, we launched. And I think there's uh, there are a couple of other resources where are more focused to the uh, the managed uh, offering, which will happen as educational one on the on the SAP uh, blogs and our community and developer community. There's also our colleagues from the community. Um, developer community, they are also creating content. So this happens. I'm, I was kind of uh, trying to push more for the open source part, but all of those are accessible. But some of those are you know, very, very specific to SAP, which also there's a lot of learnings there uh, for sure on those channels. Seems like a lot of places you can start in at least. Now, as a final question, maybe, now that we've uh, listed all the means where people can get in touch with Kima, um, what are your main messages that you want people to take away from this podcast today? So from, from my perspective, two, three things that uh, people should take away is from us, I'd stay curious and stay hungry. So and also stay up to date with what's going on in the industry. So uh, there is a lot of innovation happening all over the place, uh, multiple projects. It's really hard to follow, but but basically there is a lot of progress made on, on multiple fronts. Uh, and as long as uh, you're clear of what problems you want to solve, 
for typically most problems, there are more than one solutions available that you can choose from. Um, so just pick what works best for you. Um, it worked quite well for us so far, and we're we're really happy with with how it uh, how it uh, developed. Another thing is. Uh, yeah, don't build monoliths and keep the core clean. So as much as possible, try to separate custom code out of the product that you're responsible for, that you have to provide SLAs for, and that you really want to evolve and update and patch and upgrade as soon as possible. As soon as you have something running, you should be able to flush it uh, to, to all of your installations and uh, don't leave anything behind. So don't fall into the same tra trap that uh, that we that we did so try to learn from from uh, from our experience um and uh, yeah um get to kima-project.io so that's uh, that's where all of that is nicely summarized i will also i will add something from the open source part and i would say you know it is possible to do open source like real open source even in a, a starting from a corporation the size of sap and i think that uh, as probably this would be one of the um you know target audience would be sap interested uh, people and also maybe some of our colleagues, um, I would say you, you could try to see how, how easy it is to contribute and how, how easy it is to create a, a pull request and a feature, how easy it is to, uh, you know, if you would use this in your internal team, how easy it would be to propose some changes and, you know, uh, make the sure that those are going to be my uh, part of the main code as, as move forward. And, um, I would say it is possible to develop open source projects and use that corporate size as we do with Kima. And I think that would be one of the main takeaways that I would like to, to push for. Okay. Thank you, Valentin. Um, uh, Kazi, did you want to add anything else? No, I fully agree. Oh, you fully agree. That's a, that's a nice addition and final word. You fully agree. Great. Um, so uh, thank you, Krasi. Thank you, Valentin, for being our guest today. It was nice to have you here. I hope everyone out there is like totally interested in working with Kima now. Uh, thanks, everyone out there for listening to The Open Source Way. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it. So the next one is probably not due before January 20th. Uh, and in the meantime, whatever you celebrate, have great holidays uh, and hear you again in 2021. Thanks for listening in. Bye-bye.